Hey everybody, this is Kimberly Gold. I was the bass player in the Halloween dance scene from the movie Once Bitten. And you are listening to the Vampire Movie Minute Podcast. Welcome back to a new episode of the Vampire Movie Minute Podcast. And tonight on the show with us, we have somebody calling in to help us with these five minutes all the way from jolly old England, where I am partially from, as I have explained in previous episodes. My last name is actually a town in England, uh, Denmead, England. And we have with us author uh, Laws Codman on the show with us to talk a little bit about her books, as well as these five minutes, uh, minutes 70 to 75 of Dracula 1979. Thank you for coming on the show with us, Laws. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here. This is my first ever interview as well, so I'm very honored that you've chosen me to be part of this big You've never done any interviews in England? No, this is my first ever one. Oh, wow. Well, why don't you talk, uh, tell us a little bit about your, your books and what you've, uh, what you've written, as well as uh, how you became a writer. Uh, so I've been writing books since I was a child, basically, but I've never published anything until recently. So I've been writing a lot of fantasy books when I was growing up. I did take a bit of a break when I was in my mid-twenties because I just didn't have the confidence. But then... I started to feel a bit more confident in my late 30s where I attended a gig which inspired me to write the book I've released recently called Midnight Devotion which is about vampires in a punk rock band in the UK that want to travel across the UK to do a tour with the help of a human who can help them to attempt to defeat their head vampire so they can try and become human again to kick off start their bands but along the way they'll have trials and tribulations revelations and drama unfold in between whilst trying to maintain their band together and meeting all sorts of characters along the way is that your only novel it's the only one i've got open at the moment yes but um i'm working on book number two as we speak for the series and then once that series is finished i've got a variety of others on the way because i self-publish my books rather than traditionally publish what do you self-publish through uh, I self-publish through, uh, I do two, Amazon KDP and Ingram Spark, because Ingram Spark does worldwide distributions to all sorts of websites across the world, whereas Amazon only does it for Amazon.co.uk. How does Ingram Sparks work? Do you have to pay anything to get it uh, distributed all over the world? No, originally you had to, but they recently changed it where you can upload it for free. The only thing you have to pay for now is if you want to subtract your manuscript to make any amendments and it costs about $25 unless of course you do get a deal from Ingram Sparkway so you can do it for free in this time period. Oh okay so Ingram Spark doesn't charge you to uh, basically have your um, book uh, on their site to go everywhere. No it doesn't no. That's that's good I signed up for an Ingram Spark account but I didn't quite understand um all the logistics behind it um i guess i just got to upload my book to them it's a complex system i had a lot of struggles with ingram spark and i found amazon kdp to be so much simpler the only downfall was that during the time i was trying to release the book there was no pre-order option available for paperbacks on amazon until after i had published the book oh ingram spark, you can do like pre-sales and pre-order 
but um, now the options available for Amazon, it's going to be a lot easier in the second time round. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I uh, it it uh, it really bugged me about how to get my book up there, but I really got to get my book on there so that way it's more readily available to people through um, through them. So. Okay. What book is it that you want to upload? Um, it's my own. Uh, I mean, there's a couple. I have a few books. Um, like you, they've been published through KDP, but um, there's no publisher other than one in particular through Bear Manor Media. But um, my uh, graphic novel book, uh, Vlada, A Dracula Tale, needs to be uh, put up there because a lot of stores have asked, like, is it on Ingram Sparks? Can I order through them? And I'm like, no. So I've been really, like, kind of not really helped my own cause doing that. Okay, well, speaking from experiences, I can give you a hand if need be with like anything regarding Grispark, or if you join our author pages on Facebook, like they'd be able to support you through that sort of thing. Because one thing I had to do whilst I was trying to go through the publishing process was ask other people with their experiences how they did certain things. Yeah, I need to uh, I need to log back into Ingram and uh, get that done because uh, I've been I've been kind of lapsed on it. Um, Obviously, the book is completed and printed multiple times before, so I just need to get the uh, the uh, the the publishing version uploaded to their site. So, yeah, the thing with um, self-publishing that I prefer is that you have more creative control of what your book cover looks like, how the story will go, and you don't have to be pressured by any deadlines from people, and you have to end up just kind of making your own money, really. But I'm I didn't really want to do this for money. I kind of just wanted it because I've been wanting to publish books since I was young, and when I was in school, I wanted to be an author, but my dad said to me I wouldn't make any money out of it, so I ended up not becoming a writer, which I'm really glad because now that I'm in my like later years, I'm a bit more mature and I have a better English like qualification, so I know how to write a book and all that. Yeah, like I said, I need to get it uh, on their site, which is not something I have pulled the trigger on just because I was worried, like, wait, how much is it going to, wait, what, it's going to cost me to uh, put it up there? But uh, it, it doesn't seem like it will, so. No, no, it's completely free. Yeah, so I need to, uh, I just need to get it, obviously, and log in and get my book on there. But why don't we dive into this film? Had you Had you ever seen this film before? I have not, and this is my second, second Dracula movie, the first one being the Leslie Nielsen version. So this is my first time watching the movie. You've never seen any other Dracula movie besides the Leslie Nielsen version? No, funny enough, because like it was something I never really had an interest in until in the summer when I had read the book for the very first time. Because obviously, when you're writing about vampires, you want to read other people's vampire contents to check if you're either being a bit more unique or to see what made those books really popular. So I ended up reading the book for the first time ever in the summer holidays. There are so many versions of Dracula out there that you, you must check out. Yeah, my uh, fiancé has um, told me to watch several versions, so that's something we're going to be doing at some point. So when I was watching this one, like... It helped me, like, reminiscent, like, the book, so it made me think, oh, you know, this happened and that happened, even though... Dracula is, was technically declared public domain in like 1961, so the twists and turns they made from in this movie made me just go to my fiance and go, I'm pretty sure um, Jonathan is dating Mina in the book. So it was a bit of a Marvel's What If situation where what if Jonathan was dating Lucy instead of Mina instead? 
Yeah, that's it. That's, only, that's really the biggest difference is that Lisa, Lucy, uh, the, at the scene, at the scene that we're in, um, Lucy is still alive and Mina is dead. Also, jo- uh, yeah. Jacqueline Stewart, Jack Stewart, uh, Jacqueline Stewart is my character. Jack Stewart is um, Mina's uh, or Lucy's. Van Helsing is Mina's father and Stewart is Lucy's father. Yeah, I didn't recall that in the book. That is also in the 1931 uh, Dracula with Bela Lugosi, which is also parodied in the Leslie Nielsen version, too, that uh, Dr. Stewart is the um, father of Mina or Lucy. Yes, whereas in the novel, Jack Stewart is uh, one of the people that would court Lucy uh, for marriage um, because of... Whatever traditions there were back then when you were trying to date and hook up with somebody and get married and doubt any courtship whatsoever, you'd pick suitors and they'd be like, oh, I like this one the best. Let's get married and put a kid in me. Yeah, I remember in the book there was quite a few men that were flaunting themselves at her. Yeah, Arthur Homewood and Quincy Morris as well. And, uh, you know, Quincy Morris would uh, meet um, uh, Arthur Homewood would... uh, and uh, Arthur Holmwood is the um, uh, Sir Ar- is like a, like a baron, and Quincy is from uh, America. So there's one of them that's from America that's like a cowboy. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and um, the uh, one of them was played by I think if if I remember correctly, one of them is played by um, Carrie Elways in the 1992 uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. The big budget, the last time they ever did Dracula based on the novel as accurately as they could. Um, that was the one film they ever actually did that was actually based on the novel. If you try to do Dracula as an entire novel itself, it'd be like doing War of the Worlds as the novel. It'd be incredibly boring. In fact, there is an animated movie that is an adaptation of War of the Worlds, and a lot of people hate it because it is incredibly dull. Um, yeah, because I know with adaptations, like you have to kind of cut out a lot of it in order for it to be a feature length and not be too long. Right. But yeah, with uh, this movie, like despite the story being a bit different to the book, it didn't take me out of the enjoyment I had with it. Like I thought the acting was really good. It had a really great cast. One thing I was going to talk about with the five minutes we were talking about of this movie is the colour palette of the movie and how it's really like got some dull colours, but it actually gives it like a really good atmosphere as well as like giving that vintage look. Yeah, so there's two versions of the movie. The director originally wanted like a diluted coloured version of the film, and then there's the theatrical version, which was in full-blown colour. So I there are... Um, there are a few, uh, there, there, there's those two versions. Both versions are exactly the same in terms of length and any extra content or anything like that. There's nothing new or extra put into it. No, but it still looks good nonetheless. Yeah. Um, so our five minutes, uh, begin with, um, Van Helsing there. They just got out of the crypt after, uh, killing Mina. And they're checking in on Lucy, who has just had uh, her first lovemaking session with Dracula prior to this, in a very James Bond-style sequence, which I have already covered. I laugh at that scene. Like, I was like, what on earth is going on? This is so trippy. Still really good. Now, I was listening to this with the uh, film historian Constantine Nasier's commentary um, happening during it. And during his commentary, somebody comes in 
barges into his commentary and says, Hi, I'm here to record um, some other version of Dracula. And he's like, um, I'm sorry, excuse me, I'm recording 1979's Dracula. Oh, I'm sorry, okay, goodbye. And I think that was Steve Haberman, who is actually the writer of Dracula Dead and Loving It. Oh my goodness, I need to find that and actually watch that. That sounds really funny. Um, yeah, so that's the commentary with the historian Nasir. But yeah, Steve Haberman, who's been on the, my po- my radio show and podcast, uh, is the writer of the Leslie Nielsen Dracula, and he's actually uh, friends with um, <laughs> he's uh, really good friends with Mel Brooks, having worked on uh, a couple of Mel Brooks's films, and again been the writer of that film. Um, yeah. Van Helsing um, immediately holds up. So so when when Dracula appears behind him, there's this incredible camera angle way of doing it that shows the doors opening up with the mirror and Dracula stepping into the real. The real foyer. Yeah, that's it. And um, it, I found it to be a really interesting intro. Like, you have like Van Helsing just minding his own business, and then all of a sudden, like, he doesn't even hear the doors open. They're that silent. Yeah, no, you don't see, you don't hear anything. He uh, he just walks right in, um, and then uh, they have a like a, a bout of duels of uh, wits between them. Um, yeah. Van Helsing has the garlic that he's about to drape over Lucy's neck and immediately repels Dracula with it. Um, and then Dracula, you know, says that he would, he has killed other men for what he has done with no hesitations. Um, those who cross my path have all died, Van Helsing. And that's when Van Helsing pulls out that little tiny cross on a, on a flat piece of paper. It's not necessarily like a crucifix. I don't know what that is. I wasn't so sure either. It looked like something like, you know, those like pieces of paper that if you just kind of like, it's like a piece of like um, stick. And if you like make it go spinning and it makes one image, it looks like one of those. I can't remember what it's called, but it reminded me a lot of that. When Dracula leaves through the room, he, it's a stuntman uh, who jumps through the window and then it's like a cut frame scene of a different part of the film spliced together in order to show him transforming into his wolf as he runs away. And uh, Dracula would appear, obviously, uh, wolves and Dracula have a lot in common, as he would always appear more as a wolf than a bat, and the bat became more of like the Hollywood thing eventually. But uh, that entire sequence where he leaps through is incredible. Um, Oh, yeah, I loved it. It was just, chef's kiss. That was a great transformation. Like, despite it being, like, in 1979, the effects were just so good. Did you notice one thing in particular about this version of Dracula that no one else, no other version of Dracula I can remember doesn't do? Um, did you notice something missing about Dracula? About the movie? Not, I couldn't really pick up anything. Like, I had to re-watch that scene multiple times and look at the mirror because I thought there was a continuity error that the mirror wasn't smashed. But it's no, a, it's about Dracula. No, the, no, no, no. Overthinking it. Nope. Stop. The, the question I have is about Dracula himself. What is different about this version of Dracula? can't really recall. What is it? He doesn't have fangs. Oh my goodness, he doesn't, does he? No, this was Frank Langella's uh, consensus of doing the part. He was really apprehensive about taking on this role uh, because he had done it on Broadway and didn't want to... Uh, he wanted to recreate it for the movie, but he did not want to be the uh, the cheesy Hammer versions that had basically come to fore because there had been no other version of Dracula for a while other than the Hammer films. And the Hammer films were these gothic horror like gore fest films uh well for the time they were gory now they're pretty tame but the only other version of dracula that had just happened was um uh george hamilton's uh love at first bite 
And that was played for comedy. And again, uh, Langella really wanted a serious take on this role, and he did not want to wear fangs. No, that is quite interesting. I'd never really thought about that. <laughs> like, because you're so fixated on what's going on that like, you don't really think about, like, the things that could potentially be missing in the character. We end the five minutes with um, the uh, scene in a graveyard, and they uncover the shroud, and Mina has reverted back to her regular form, um, from the dead, decaying uh, vampire that she was, and I believe this is like a funeral pyre that they're going to light on fire, but we, we don't get that quite yet in this, these five minutes. No, we don't. It's like they just go to the graveyard and see Mina, and it's like, she looks alive. Do we have um, a lot of uh, burning of corpses in graveyards in England? Not anymore. Oh, okay, all right. No, we don't do that. What we do is like we just either do cremations where it's like we put people through like a incinerator and they turn into ash and we put them in urns, but we don't just like put them in piles and light them on fire. We don't do that anymore. Oh, okay. It's just, I, I wasn't <laughs> sure. I wasn't sure. Okay. Do you have public hangings in, in England? Do you have the death no. penalty in England? Oh, God. The, in England, like, we don't have that sort of thing anymore. It's more like um, if you've done something wrong, you just send to life in jail or you have like a certain sentence we don't really do death penalties as far as i know ah there's only eight states here in the united states that have the the death penalty still and some of them are so backed up that they're it's like what is the even the point i'm gonna be um actually visiting whitby in near the end of january so it will be interesting to look at like certain areas especially the dracula experience museum that's got there there's a Dracula museum in Whitby? There is, yeah. So, we're going to have a, a... It's quite cheap as well. It's like £5, which is going to be something around, I think, seven $7.50 in American? Wow, that is yeah. a cheap entrance for a museum. Most museum entrances over here are like $20 or something like that. But that's uh, that's incredible. I will. Uh, uh, England is on a list to come visit. Um, I, I just got to get my act together and figure out, okay, this is when I'm going to do it. This is when I'm going to spend the money to fly over there. Because um, I keep saying I'm going to go and visit where, where my family comes from, which is uh, Denmead, England. So that would be quite interesting as well. Well, this is going to be our first ever visit to Whitby, so I'm really looking forward to seeing, like, the Abbey and St. Mary's Church, which is where Bram Stoker get the inspiration for Dracula. Yes, of course, definitely. Well, that ends our five minutes here for this part of the movie. Uh, where can people find you, and where can people purchase your novel? And please give the title, okay. give the title okay. away again. Okay, it's Midnight Devotion, and you can purchase it on Amazon, non Barnes and Noble and a variety of online bookstores. You could just type in the title on Google, Midnight Devotion, and it will be in your search results. And you can follow me on Facebook as Loz Cadman author page. You can follow me on Twitter of at Loz Cadman Books. And you can follow me on Instagram at cherry underscore rabbit underscore Loz. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Loz. Thank you for inviting me. It's don't, been an honor. Don't forget you can find us on the Vampire Movie Minute on Audible, on iTunes, on Google Play, on many other places that you happen to listen to your podcasts. You can find uh, me over on the Radio of Horror uh, Instagram page or send us an email at thatradiohorror at gmail.com or the Vampire Movie Minute on Facebook and Twitter. 
Uh, don't forget, Scott is no longer part of the show. He has had to leave due to personal reasons in, in life, and we wish him well. But uh, we will be taking a break after Dracula 79 is concluded um, before we, uh, as we continue looking for a new co-host and we start our next uh, vampire movie, which could be either My Best Friend is the Vampire or The Invitation, which is a new vampire movie that came out last year also involving Dracula. Please don't forget to uh, look at our other great episodes that we have covered, films such as Life Force, The Lost Boys, What We Do in the Shadows, uh, and Once Bitten and Vampire Hunter D. And we'll be back in a couple weeks with another exciting five minutes from Dracula 79 here on the Vampire Movie Minute Podcast. <laughs>